Well, good morning, church. Are you guys excited to be here for Easter? This is pretty incredible because it has been two years since we've been able to have an Easter service together, which is too long. And so we are so thankful for you to be here. If you are a guest this morning, we just want to say welcome to Salem Heights. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, this morning, we have a family service in store for you. So if, you're, if your little ones are with you, man, this is a great service. We're going to have a lot of corporate singings. We're going to sing together about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we're going to hear from God's word. So we hope you feel comfortable. We are so glad that you're here. And now let's turn our attention to worship. Well, good morning. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. Let's have you stand. We're going to worship together. Work is done. Let's redeem 
but it still has a strong message and allows us to testify really from our heart about what we know Christ went through for us and then to exclaim how wonderful and amazing that is. So let's sing this together. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the
Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed even more earnestly, and sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law met together and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. And Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? And he replied, you are right in saying that I am. And then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. And the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And then they began accusing him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. 
when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they were enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand, and he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the other criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. But one of the criminals who hung there, it hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. There was a moment when the lights went out when death had claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history There on a cross they made for sinners For every curse his blood atoned One final breath and it was finished But not the end we could have known For the earth began to shake And the veil was adorned What sacrifice was made As the heavens arose And all hail King Jesus, all hail the Lord of heaven and earth, all hail King Jesus, all hail the Savior of the world. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Together. There was a moment when the sky lit up. Let's have you stand for this if you would. A flash of light was breaking through. When all was lost, he crossed eternity. The king of life was on the move. We're in a dark hole. 
where our Lord was laid. One miraculous breath, it was forever changed. so thankful to know you. We are so thankful to be loved by you, to be known by you. We don't deserve it. You don't need anything from us. We come here to celebrate and acknowledge what you did that day, raising your son from the dead, proved he was who he said he was, the one that was foretold from the beginning, hundreds of years before the coming Messiah had come, and we put our hope and we put everything in that today. God, I would pray that you would help us in these days, in this year that has been so chaotic, where maybe our eyes have like um, come off of you. We've gotten distracted. Help us to once again focus on the 
cross and all that has happened there, it should filter the way that we live. It should, it should change everything for us, God. I would pray that you'd help us now as we look into your word. I pray that it would change us and we'd go away with the hope that you've always intended us to have. In Christ's precious name, amen. You can be seated. Well, how thankful are you to celebrate a risen Savior this morning in this place together? Aren't you thankful for that? What an awesome time in worship. And we're not done. Um, but we're going to take a, a, just an interlude. I was thinking about this morning, and I was reminded of a moment when I was coaching lacrosse. Uh, we had a goalie uh, that had just learned the position, had a little family interruption, and he ended up uh, stepping away from that position, and he came back the next practice, and he was a super capable kid. Uh, he, he comes back, and uh, we're running actually up some drills where we're, we're playing scrimmage against each other, and one kid shoots on goal, makes an amazing stop. He gets the ball, and, and he comes out of the goal, and then he just starts running. And he runs all the way down the field. He's running around people and everything, and he gets all the way to the other end, and he throws the ball towards the goal, and then he turns around and sprints back to the other side. And so we're like, hey, time out. What's going on? And I said, first of all, that was an amazing stop, but what are you doing? And he says, coach, I just forgot what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> it's possible that this is your first time back in a church, Right? For more than a year. I've heard that from quite a few people over the last couple of days. And you could be sitting here and you might say, man, I just forgot what I'm supposed to do. Well, you're sitting with other people. Just look around and say, welcome to church, right? But here's the thing that I want you to know. Since the, the first century A.D., there's been a statement that was made and a response that would be called back. As they, believers, would greet one another in the street, they would shout out, he is risen. And the response would be, He's risen. The whole reason that we are here, that any of this makes sense, if any of it's true, it is only true because of the resurrection. Amen? That's what we're celebrating this weekend. That's why we're back here in church. That's why we're together. Now, some of the benefits that we've had during this season are that we've also had families join us. So if you're here and you've got little kids with you this morning, we are super thankful for your family, we're thankful that uh, your children are with you this morning. But we know that sometimes, as you're listening to Billy, you might not have caught the whole story. Uh, he was reading some sections there out of Luke 24. So what I want to do this morning, three things. First, I want to catch the kids in the room up. I want them to be able to hear the story in words they will be able to understand. Secondly, I want to present you with the concern that I have for this morning. And third, I want to give you three reasons why you need this, the resurrection, why you need this to be true. But we'll start with catching our kids up with a kid's version of Luke 24.
Jesus said that he was God's son, they didn't like it at all. The people got so mad that they put Jesus on a cross. His mom and his friends were very sad because they loved him. He died because he wanted to forgive our sins. They brought him off the cross to a cave that had a stone so he couldn't get out. Saturday, they were all sad and they were all scared. On a Sunday, they went to look and they saw he was not in there anymore. The tomb was empty. An angel told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. The women came running to the disciples to tell them, but they would not believe them. Jesus came in the room. They were all surprised and they were all happy. Since they were so happy, they had a month together. After they had so much fun, Jesus went onto a top of a hill and he waved goodbye all to his friends. He said, I will come back someday. While I'm gone, tell everybody about me. And he went up to heaven. The disciples, they told everybody that Jesus would always forgive them. Now I know that he loves me and my little sister Alicia and my mom and my dad and he loves everybody. That's why me and my sister love to dress up and go to church and be pretty as we celebrate Easter. By celebrating, we say to Jesus, thank you and we love you. Yeah. We would be uh, lying if we said that we did that just for the kids, wouldn't we? <laughs> so we've got the families in the room caught up. Now, what is the concern? This morning is, uh, in fact, this last couple of weeks as I've been preparing uh, for this morning, I, I, I knew that there would be three groups that were in the room. First, there are those of us that every single year we celebrate the resurrection because we know of its deep meaning, the impact in our life and the transformation uh, that it has caused. And so for you, I just say, welcome, let's celebrate. It's also possible, and we had this in both services yesterday, that we have some folks that are spiritually curious. You've been skeptical on the outside, but you are actually seeing that your way of living has not actually led to satisfaction. You've been overwhelmed by your choices in life, and you've just heard the byproduct in somebody else that you've appreciated. The byproduct of their life has been peace in this season, a settled sense in the midst of a storm, and you're curious, is it possible that this faith holds answers? And I'm going to ask you to listen this morning. I want you to be able to develop those questions, and we would love to spend time with you, but this morning, my, my target, the people that have been on my heart are the large number of you that went in 2019 and 2020, went into a crisis. In fact, you went into separation, feeling that you had faith but you've come out feeling like you're faithful, faithless. You went into that season feeling secure, but you've come out a skeptic. 
you went into that season absolutely confident that uh, you were part of fellowship and that everything was filled with belief, but now you're experiencing brokenness and you're wondering if you should just let go. We've all been sitting in our homes. We've been binge watching Netflix, right? Asking Grubhub to deliver it. We've just like a bunch of mushrooms been sitting in the dark feasting on garbage and you're wondering why we feel so nasty, right? You've emerged out of here, but here's the one thing that you need to understand. This isn't just an option for us. The resurrection isn't just some delightful story. It's not just a neat thing for some people to believe. Every single one of you in the room here this morning, you need this to be true. Now, what we're not going to do this morning, uh, I'm not going to give you the historical or scientific or philosophical reasons that you need to believe. And the reason is, I believe that's been done. It's been done well. We've done it year after year. Um, in fact, if you do not believe that there is a good historical, philosophical reason, scientific reason to believe in Christianity, then you've literally only been listening to skeptics and you haven't honestly asked the questions. I believe that Christianity can stand up to any critic. And I believe, in fact, that if we were to turn the same questions back around on your faith system and ask them as seriously of what you believe, that your belief system would not be able to measure up to Christianity if you believe otherwise. But if you're concerned about that, I've left some books on the stage, and these will just give you an opportunity to actually look at the very best questions that are asked and the very best answers that we have to offer. There are good reasons to believe in Christ. What I want to give you this morning is the biblical reason, the biblical reason why you need the resurrection to be true. Are you ready? Three things. First, you need the resurrection to be true because, because the resurrection is true, your life has meaning. In John chapter 20, there's a, an amazing moment. Remember, all of the disciples were caught off guard as they saw Jesus Christ crucified. He is put on the cross. He is dead. He's been laid in a grave. And they couldn't, because of their customs at the time, because of their spiritual customs, they could not go and address the body of Jesus on Friday or Saturday, so they had to come on the third day. And so there they are coming to the tomb, and a group of them arrive at the tomb, and the stone has been rolled away, and it's empty, and they do not know what to believe. And in John chapter 20, we see a group of discouraged disciples. They haven't taken time to investigate. They see that it's empty. They're overwhelmed, and it says in verse 9 of 20, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And they returned to the place where they were staying. All of them but one. There's a person who is still sitting at the tomb. Everybody has left. And it says, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she was crying, she stooped down to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. And I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, will you tell me where you've put him and I will take him away? And Jesus said to her, Mary, 
Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, Scripture leaves something out here, but all of a sudden, it's evident she has run to him. She's clinging to him. And he says, don't cling to me, Jesus told me. I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. That's an amazing moment, isn't it? Now, in two other Gospels, Mary is actually introduced to us as Mary, the one who seven demons had been cast out of in Mark and Luke. We actually hear this story. Mary, the one out of whom seven demons had been cast out. Now, I want you to imagine, not that you're in our culture right now, there's all kinds of ways that you would read that, but this was written to uh, that ancient Near Eastern culture. What would it be like for people in that day and age to hear a moniker next to your name that said, this is the one who had seven demons? What would they think had happened? What would they believe you would have to do to have seven demons come up and live inside of you? What would it be like to interact with somebody who was possessed at that level? How was it that she got identified as having those demons? How was it that she actually interacted with other women in the marketplace? What was Mary's life like as she was interacting with children when they would come up to her? Uh, How did she interact with other men in that culture? What did she dress like that identified her as a possessed individual? What is it that that her day-to-day existence entailed? But do you know that also, whether it's something that we have done or that something that people have done to us, there is such a thing that it begins to inhabit the soul of an individual called shame. In addition to guilt, there is shame that happens. Imagine the box that Mary had put on her own life. I can't make eye contact with those people. These people will never accept me. I will never be okay in society. And even if there's a moment where all of the noise in her head is quiet, she is still there shaming herself and putting herself in a box. Every single aspect of her existence is rot. It's filth. It's overwhelming. It's demeaning. She has no hope until one day this guy comes along and with a touch, with a statement, She's free. The noise is gone. The people that are around him say, welcome to the family. Her life makes sense. Everything is settled. Everything is okay. I'm in community. I can walk the streets with my head held high. I have a place. Everything is made right until that day I see him die. What is Mary thinking as all of the disciples walk away? Did they even invite Mary to come with them? Is she thinking in her mind, oh no, it's all going to come back. Where did he go? Where did all my hopes go? She is at the tomb weeping, not just because she's hysterical as some people on the outside of Christianity have said. This is the one who had set her life straight and her hopes We're gone with him. Well, when she turns around, he says, Mary, he he calls her by name. He reminds her of her standing. He reminds her of his value and the value that he's placed on her life. And she says, I want you to go be an apostle to the apostles. You go tell the apostles that I've risen from the grave. I'm assigning you a job that has great meaning. And she walks away with joy knowing that it's not over.
her life has meaning. Now, I want you to understand that uh, to have meaning, for any object or thing to have meaning, it requires sacrifice. And I just want you to consider for a moment uh, this red handkerchief. If you go online, you can buy uh, a handkerchief like this for $1.87. I told the group yesterday, uh, you go on Amazon, um, you can have this uh, probably by Monday, all right? $1.87, you too can have a red handkerchief. Now, there's a lot of stories that come out of 9-11, and, and if um, I'm honest, every single time that I hear stories from 9-11, they've been pressed into our culture. Sometimes they've been overdone. But there is one story that consistently grabs me, that, that grabs my attention. In fact, it grabbed the attention of the world when they dedicated the 9-11 memorial. As people were coming down out of the rubble, as all of the smoke and the ash is just still hanging in the air, and person after person is coming out of this wave of just crashing concrete and all of the noise and all of the mess, they're coming out. As they began to interview survivors and ask them, what is going on in there? They said, well, I, I was stuck in a stairwell, and, and all of a sudden a guy came and he grabbed a hold of me and he said, no, follow this direction. This is the path to safety. Or I was stuck on one floor or another floor and somebody came just emerged out of all of the confusion and said, no, you got to go this direction over here. There's a group of people at the base of these stairs and they will help you get out of here. Go that direction. And person after person after person said, somebody came, grabbed a hold of me and led me to safety. And the details about what they looked like were sketchy. I, I couldn't really tell him. He was covered with ash. I couldn't tell if there was a significance to the way that he walked or the way that he talked. But there was one thing that I remember, and that was that he had a red bandana. It was a guy in a red bandana that kept going back in. And once I got to safety, he ran back up the stairs and was going to go get more people. Six months later, they found the intact body of the man with the red bandana and identified him as Wells Crowther. Wells Crowther. A man who was... And told to his father just a few weeks earlier, Dad, I, I don't any longer want to be living for number crunching and doing the job that I do. I want to do something that's significant for the public. I want to serve people. I want to do something of significance. Well, he did something amazingly significant that day. As the memorial is there, even the president brings up that story, and there's a visual that you can see of Wells's dad sitting in the audience. But I want you just now for a moment to turn your imagination on and, and imagine for a moment that you are there as Wells's father meets a survivor. Does that person have meaning? It doesn't matter what you thought your life was worth before that. He's looking at you saying, your life, my son thought your life was worth his. You now have meaning in the eyes of that father. How, how valuable is that bandana to those survivors? If they were going to say, hey, can I purchase that bandana? Is it worth just $1.87? What would you give for the symbol of the person who actually had set you free? Now, I want you to imagine for a moment and remember Wells Crowther is not God. There's only one. There's only Jesus. But in your imagination for a moment, imagine that you're at the 9-11 memorial. You're at that service, and they're telling these stories, these amazing stories of how this one act had done something so significant in your life that now you're alive even though he's not. And imagine that he emerges from the back of the stage, and he says, folks, I'm alive, but we don't have time right now 
to celebrate. He's, he, imagine that he says there's another emergency that's just down the street. I can't get people to listen to me. I want them to know that they just need to follow me and they will get to safety. I need you to tell them to trust me. What would you do in that moment? Now, we go away from imagination. We go away from a red bandana. The symbol is actually the cross and the empty tomb. The person of significance is Jesus Christ. And he did, in fact, rise from the dead. And because of that, amen, yes. And because of that, your life has meaning. It isn't a meaningless, drab existence that you've been asked to continue to move forward in. You actually have a purpose to go and tell other people, you can trust him. He will lead you out of the mess. You actually can have meaning as well as I do. He will set everything straight if you will let him. Because of the resurrection, your life has meaning. The catch, you don't get to decide what that meaning is. That meaning is assigned to you by Jesus. But there's a second thing that the resurrection tells us, and that is this. You need this to be true. Be- because of the resurrection, forgiveness is real. In Luke 24, another moment with the disciples, it's really an amazing scene. Not all of them have seen him. Uh, he's been meeting with one after another. Remember, there's a period of 40 days where Jesus is walking with his disciples, and in those early days, he took time to be able to meet with every single one of them, and he shows up. He just appears in a locked room, After they've locked the door, they're afraid of what's going on on the outside. They're having a meal. Jesus is there with them. They can touch him. They can eat with him. They can interact with him. And he begins to describe with them why all of this has happened. And he's working them through the scriptures. And it says in verse 45, and then he opened their minds in chapter 24 of Luke. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem, beginning right here where it happened, you're going to go and tell people that not just I've risen from the grave, it's not just a celebration, it's not one of those ha-ha, you couldn't keep me down moments, right? Right? This is a, because of the resurrection, you can be forgiven. Isn't that awesome? Now think about this. What if Jesus instead embraced the cancel culture that we have today? You do something wrong, you offend me, you say something wrong, even if it's way back in your past, you're out. I'm going to unfriend you, I'm going to tell everybody else to reject you. What if he embraced the same kind of culture that we have become If Christ championed the cancel culture, then the Samaritan woman would stay washed up. The prodigal son, one author says, is still stuck in the pig pen. Zacchaeus is still up a tree. Peter is just casting nets, not feeding sheep. James and John, the sons of thunder, are just two men that are all wet. Saul of Tarsus is still trying to kill Christians. Thomas is drowned in his doubt. The thief on the cross dies without hope. John Mark might as well stayed AWOL. If you consider for a moment that great chapter in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, that goes through all of the people that were saved by faith, what would you do with Noah the drunk, or Abraham the liar, or Moses the murderer, or Rahab the harlot? You know what? You can't write Hebrews chapter 11 if cancel culture exists. 
At least five of the seven churches in the book of Revelation would have stayed dark without hope. In fact, humanity would be hopeless. If Jesus embraced the cancel culture, then he could neither be faithful or just, and he would have never died on the cross. Now remember, this doesn't mean that Jesus winks at sin, that he just takes a look at what you've done and and decides not to embrace it. No, he died for real sins that you have committed, and we have to agree, we're in sin, you're the answer. And he forgives them. But it's not cancel culture. Now, we talk about forgiveness, and we talk about it in church all the time, but I want you to wrap your mind around what forgiveness means. Right now, in our culture, there's something that actually in polite company you're not supposed to bring up. There's a trial that's going on, Derek Chauvin case with uh, George Floyd at the centerpiece. I just want you in the room right now to imagine for a moment that you are able to go in to that courtroom. Now, depending on your perspective, and there are multiple perspectives in the room, don't deny that. Imagine that you could go into that room and you could touch a person's life and you could actually say to them, you're forgiven. What if you could say that? First of all, that's what Christ can do. But if you were to do that to any individual in the room right now, you go in and say, you're forgiving, all consequences are released. What would our culture do? They would erupt. You can't do that. Do you know how much pain that individual has caused? Do you know all the ramifications to my family? Do you want to know what's happening inside our culture? Do you want to know the consequences should be falling on their head? You can't forgive them. In fact, I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't know who in your mind you thought you would forgive as you just listened to that. But there is no person that is here. There is no judge on earth. There's no government in the world that could step in there, offer forgiveness, and not create a riot Only God can do that. He's the only one that can step in and offer forgiveness, and at the same time, he can take care of all of the brokenness in the room. He's the only one that can make straight what you have done and undo the impact that you've done to all of the other people. The way that we wreck our lives wrecks the lives of the people that are around us, and only Jesus can make straight what is broken. He's the only one, and he proved that he can do it with the resurrection. He can make your path straight and he can clean up the mess that you've made. And in the end, someday, he's going to put all things new. But he's the only one that can do it. We need God to take care of this. We need the resurrection to be true because we can't fix what is broken without breaking more things. We have to choose one group or another to reject. Jesus doesn't do that. Now, I want to just be honest. Most of us in the room are not on trial. Most of us are not sitting here having the weight of all of our decisions lifted up in front of our face. In fact, for many of us, we might just be like Thomas. Could you agree with Thomas that a recent hardship has made you doubt whether or not all of this is real? Unless I see him unless I can put my fingers in those nail prints, unless I can actually touch his feet. I don't know if I can believe this, guys. And what does Jesus do? John chapter 20 says that he appears in the room and he looks right straight at Thomas and without shame, he says, Thomas, come here. Touch these nail prints. Look at my feet. Feel my side. 
I'm not only real, but I'm alive. And what does Thomas do? He doesn't even ask for forgiveness. All he does is he falls on his face and he worships and he says, my Lord and my God, and all is forgiven. Jesus puts it straight. Thomas understands the truth and all is set right. Forgiveness is found at the feet of Jesus because of the resurrection. Forgiveness is real. The catch, you will have to see your sin before it's erased. Jesus will sit down with you and say, let us consider All right, look at these things you've done. Those I'm going to erase, but this is what you've done. He'll show you your sin as it's being washed away. But the third thing, the final thing this morning, I want you to wrap your mind around. You need the resurrection to be true. And that is because of the resurrection, you can live happily ever after. Tim Keller, speaking to a bunch of New York critics, in fact, they were having a discussion about all of the movies that have happy endings and all of the books that have happy endings and how come the culture always craves happy endings. And he says, if you're sitting here in the room, he's speaking to New York critics, okay? He's in New York, he has that kind of poll, and he's speaking to them, he says, if you're here and you're a critic, you hate happy endings. You don't like happy endings. You think that it's not real. In fact, what you say is that's not real life. Now, is it possible that you agree? No, they can't have happy endings. Happy endings aren't a real display. And every so often we have one of these muddy, confusing, irritating movies where everybody in the end just ends up in a muck and we go, we scratch our chins and we say, oh, that's so deep, right? But why is it that we crave happy endings? Why is it that we still start telling stories that are a shade of what is true? C.S. Lewis In his book, Mere Christianity, says this, The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men and women feel desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. On the other Never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or an echo or a mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. J.R.R. Tolkien, who was one of his friends, was having a discussion with him about why we write stories with happy endings. In fact, why they wrote stories with happy endings. And the conclusion they came to was this, that, that ever since the fall in the garden, we have been trying to put that story right. We know that if there is a God, there has to be a happy ending, but it's got to be in his life. And so we begin to write stories with happy endings Because our heart's cry is to see that happy ending in the end. J.R. Token said that there's actually something that happens when you see the main character in a story 
and all of the weight of the story is falling on him. In fact, everything is falling apart. And then there's a moment when the turn comes, he says, where we actually see everything get put right and he wins the day and everything is settled. But instead of thinking about the story, there's a quickness in our heart. There's a gleam in our eye. And it says it's as if there's a rending of the veil and we have an ache for a real story to be written where we have victory. There's something calling inside of us saying, we want that story to be true. Well, do you know that God talks about the ending that he desires for you? Revelation 21 says this, at the end of time, as God puts sin away and takes care of all of death, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and earth have passed away. And the sea is no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And he will be their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief will be no more. No more crying. No more pain. Because the previous things have passed away. Imagine that. And then one that was seated on the throne, that's God, says, look, I am making everything new. And he also said, write it down because these words are faithful and true. You write it down. You bank on it. I am God. I'm going to make it new. The ending is victory. Amen? If the resurrection is true, and I'm telling you it is, you need it to be true because, because of the resurrection, we can live happily ever after. There's a catch, though. You must submit to his story. You're not the hero of the story. He is. He is the bridegroom. He is the answer. He is the king. As we close, we're going to watch a video, and we're going to continue to worship. But while we're doing that, I, I want you to consider a response in your own heart. It's possible that you're here this morning, and you'll struggle with these questions. I'm going to ask you to consider four. First, does your life lack meaning? Secondly, do you need forgiveness today? Do you need God to put right the mess that you've made? Do you need eternal life, a guarantee that you can live happily ever after? If yes, at the end of this, I'm just going to ask you to come up, and you're saying, man, I am wanting to respond. I'm going to ask you to come up at the end of the service and pray with one of the, the pastors or one of the, the folks that will be up here in front. We want you to leave today confident that you're walking with the Lord. I'm going to ask you to respond the fact is, he is risen, and you need this to be true. Let's watch. No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. 
is that king. The king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. This is the story of the Son of God Hanging on a cross for me But it ends with a bride and groom and a wedding by a glassy sea. Oh, death, where is your sting? Cause I'll be there singing holy, holy.
coming a day when Jesus is coming back for his bride, his church. Amen? There is coming a day. There's no doubt. I wanted us to finish by, uh, by singing these words that are really um, kind of the basis, the foundation of the church. And so many of you know will we'll know this song. Go ahead and feel free to sing along if you would. like this. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, and God Almighty. And through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, is Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. And our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light. Forever seated high. Let's have you stand if you would. I believe in God our Father. You sing it. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Oh, I believe in you. Oh, tell him. Because I believe you rose. on me you 
have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Sing that again. And hallelujah. Praise the one who saved me. awesome was it to be here this morning? Aren't you thankful we can celebrate together? Now, it may be that during the course of this morning, there are some things that are on your heart and you say, either I've got to get right with Christ or, man, I began to let go of him. And there are some things, some baggage that I brought to church this morning that I would love to leave here. And you want to pray with somebody. I'm just going to offer, if you want to pray with one of us, you come forward and do that. It's not... Uh, us that is special, it's he that is special. Amen. But don't leave unsure. And also for those that are at home, we have a number that you can text there. If you say, I want to respond and you leave us a number, we will make sure that we get back to you this week. We will call and help you be able to engage with those things that you need to make right. But we want to leave here celebrating because he is risen. Thanks for being here. You're dismissed.